Well, hey, everybody. Mark here. Jessica here. And we're so excited for this episode of the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where yes. we get to dive further into legacy. And this is a really fun episode because it feels like the pace kind of shifted from looking backwards mm-hmm. at what the legacy we had yeah. until looking now and to the future. Yeah. So super excited about that. And Thanksgiving's also coming up. It Jess, is. what are your plans? Ooh, my parents are going to be in town. They're cool. here from Florida. And so um, my sister-in-law's family is local as well. So we usually awesome. do a couple different dinners with them. And yeah. we'll go to the beach and we'll hang out with my dog. Ooh, Good times. So fun. So what are you doing? I think we're planning on headed down south to okay. see my parents as well. But it just feels like Thanksgiving is so far away at this point because... Yeah. I don't know, but it's not. It's coming up. It's coming. So prayers around um, people that are potentially traveling, um, plans to get all sorted out, and for people just to be able to unplug and relax a little bit. So um, thank you so much if you joined us, um, if you've been joining us online and helping out there. uh, We can't be doing what we're doing without your help. So for all of the people that are volunteering, man, it feels so fun to be able to not only see you in person, like at our Manlo 150 events or when we visit campuses, but also on Sundays where we get to come together, host service pray for people and we're just so thankful for this online community yeah. so did you say mm-hmm. that at menlo 150 you met someone in person that has been online yeah. that you've never met before yeah do you want to shout them out or no i think they prefer to remain okay. anonymous okay. but there that's were so fun though a few people that yeah. were like hey i've known you i've seen you and i was like oh hi thank you thank you for reaching <laughs> out so um if you see me or jess go ahead and say hi to us you have our permission to come up and i love it yes it's so fun so (laughs) thanks so much for being a part of this community we're praying for you and now let's go ahead and welcome phil on for the menlo midweek podcast well welcome everybody to the menlo midweek podcast my name is mark my name is jessica phil's back with us today everybody just me you guys have had it's been so quite the cast of characters we We did we Uh, had um the better counterpart of your job loren on last time (laughs) (laughs) i was like scott (laughs) I listened because I was like, is she going to throw shade yeah. on the podcast at me? And she didn't. She didn't. So, she was doing tight. a great job encouraging. Um, she had a she brought in a group of people with her. Fantastic. Yeah. In That's classic good. Lauren fashion. Yeah. yeah. That's great. She was able to get Elaine to hop on, but sure. they, they had a little peanut butter gallery over there. Uh-huh. That's good. <laughs> it was really fun. That's fun. Um, but Phil, we were all celebrating Menlo 150. We haven't heard some great yeah. stories from you yet. Well, mm-hmm. this are many location, many churches in one location celebration of our 150 year anniversary like for you uh yeah i mean i think i talked about this when i was teaching uh on that day that it's pretty intimidating because uh i've read sermons from past anniversaries i've like Mm -hmm. done a bunch of history work since i've been at menlo as a part of our strategy work and then as a part of getting ready for menlo 150 uh and somebody named uh bill frimmel at our Mm -hmm. church is working on actually like a book of Menlo's history, so oh, I've been cool. working on that with him a little bit. I mean, that's an overstatement. I have been <laughs> reading the work that he's done uh, and giving him <laughs> feedback. Uh, and so, yeah, you just are like, I don't actually deserve to be giving this message. Like, I've mm-hmm. been here for a very short amount of time in Menlo years. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I really wanted to honor the men and women who have sacrificed so much for Menlo to be what it is today, and. Certainly for the last three years, I feel like Menlo needed and deserved the celebration mm. uh, that we had to that we got to experience that we had together. And um, I, I don't know if uh, you guys shouted out Debbie or Emily, mm-hmm. um, but they were just superstars uh, on a team with yeah. 
Carol and mm-hmm. Jennifer mm-hmm. and Beth, and I won't say their last names because they're already going to be uncomfortable that I've said their first names. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it was to see the like just sheer force of will yeah. that mm-hmm. got used to bring this thing into fruition, and then so many volunteers from different campuses mm-hmm. all together, and our staff all showing up well. Uh, it was such a gift to just be, you know, there's so much complexity to the multi-site Menlo experience. You know, you don't necessarily experience it if you're just a part of Menlo, but just like the idea of like, oh, we're typing this video into other campuses, but every campus has, you know, a different cast of characters that's making everything happen mm-hmm. and that experience at that location at those times. Like, mm-hmm. so uh, to be able to, for one day, kind of truncate it all down and like, hey, Stack hands in the middle, let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, the energy was palpable. It was so fun. Um, you know, full room in that gym was uh, fun. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was real. I mean, it, like, I, like I said, this weekend, uh, it will be... Um, It'll be one of those services I never forget, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and so you're, you just kind of know the situation that you're stepping in, and you're kind of going, okay, God, um, this is bigger than all of us. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when we say we stand on the shoulders of giants, um, you feel that more on a weekend like that than about any other time, and you just kind of go, oh, this, this wasn't actually any of us. I mean, right. there are people that I talk to at Menlo that are like, oh, I've been here for 50 years. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's a third of the yeah, length seriously. of Menlo's history. It's crazy. And every church I've ever been, there's been somebody that's like, I was here when it started. you know. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a community humility that that should put in us about God's faithfulness is the common denominator at Menlo more than people, more than personalities, more than programs, more than places. There's this faithfulness of God for us mm-hmm. to continue on the same mission that we've always been on. Yeah. So you. I was going to say one cool thing about that too is kind of as you were talking, I was thinking there are people who were there day one of Mountain View, day one of San Mateo, sure. Saratoga, San Jose. And so it's like, yeah, they're like, yeah, I was here when the church started. I was like, well, nope. Right, <laughs> there was right. a lot mm-hmm. before that, but it, it does still have that similar of like, wow, I've been here for so long. I mean, there were people when I was at Mountain View that were at Menlo Park that moved to Mountain View and then moved to Saratoga and moved yeah, to or yeah. San Jose and then back to Saratoga. Yep. It's like just incredible that even if you weren't here at Menlo Park, you've been a part of Menlo in some way, yeah, shape, or absolutely. form. Yeah. 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 Can you talk a little bit about the uniqueness of a church being 150 years old in the context that we're in? <laughs> yeah, well, especially if you're listening to this and you don't live in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, 150 years... There's just, I mean, if you do the math, like this area, this region just wasn't really from like an American history perspective, Mm -hmm. the history was being written, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there was, there are churches that are very old in America. A lot of them are East Coast and Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, So for us to to have endured as long as we have um, is pretty incredible. And then uh, I joked around with somebody that uh, there are a lot of churches celebrating 150 years, but not very many of them need very many chairs to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that is the other piece of it for Menlo of people who were regularly reconnecting to the original mission of people finding and following Jesus. Um, the, the people were kind of regularly saying, hey, we got to make sure we don't forget that over there. Let's keep going back to that. Let's keep going back to that. And they didn't get so wrapped around a specific way of doing ministry. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
because when we confuse the model of how we do ministry for the mission of what our ministry is, that's when we get sideways, right? And, um, you know, Menlo, until about a decade ago, was a part of a denomination, and even that denomination finds itself uh, sort of in tatters a little bit. Hmm. Um, And I think that the reason Menlo left that denomination was also sort of by and large to say, hey, our model, the way we do church, will continue to evolve for what makes the most sense for the mission mm-hmm. uh, and where God's placed us to do it. And so, um, yeah, it's if, if you don't live in the Bay Area, you're like, wow, this is cool, 150 years, that's special. If you live in the Bay Area, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. how is that possible? You mm-hmm. know, and uh, everything for us is so recent. You know, everything that we think about, uh, it's like, hey, did you get this year's iPhone? Like, everything is immediately current. And so I joked around that um, Menlo is... Uh, older than the light bulb, right? Like mm-hmm. that is just a shocking Wild. statement about reality. And so, trying to be faithful in this moment, that if the Lord were uh, to wait another 150 years to return, that we're doing our part to steward so that at Menlo's 200th anniversary and 250th and 300th, that we're still the kind of place that's making a difference for the Bay Area and beyond. Mm-hmm. It's wild. I don't know if it's just because we've been doing. Um, my algorithm just knows what we're doing in my life, <laughs> but I've been getting a lot of old footage that's either been recolored or remastered of mm. San Francisco in like oh, cool. the 40s. And I'm like, well, Menlo is so much older than what I think is old and old, historic. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, wild. I even think like my mom moved to San Jose when she was two. Yeah. And mm. when people, when I say that to people, they're like, whoa. I mean, she doesn't live here right now. She's on the mission field, but she lived in the Bay Area for. 65 years wow. which is so I mean this area is so transient mm-hmm. right right and so even just thinking that of like it was 1957 when she moved here that's wild and it's like that just doesn't happen yeah. anymore yeah yeah and it, but that it's still wild. so tiny compared to Menlo <laughs> well and you know you, you could kind of tell when you know we talked about where the original building for Menlo was at Chestnut I think in Santa mm-hmm. Cruz yep and now you like go back to that you're like that doesn't even make sense at all it's because <laughs> the, the whole thing looks yes. different you mm-hmm. know it's like, where was the parking lot? Oh, you mean where people tied up their horses? Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> it's just a totally different place. And uh, and I think that, you know, some of the stories of Menlo that are so fun and so special around that, uh, like, Menlo has always been a church that has said, well, like, we want to be in the community. And there are mm-hmm. lots of churches that don't share that philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. So Menlo's Menlo... Um, but it would have been easy, especially when we were making the decision as a church about whether or not to go to multi-site, mm-hmm. there, it would have been a more efficient decision to say, hey, let's move to a giant facility in a place with lots of sort of legacy high-tech campuses that you can get at times pretty reasonably, mm-hmm. and then bring everybody together and just build the mega thing. Um, and man, I'm so glad we didn't do that. And uh, to, to have these kind of outposts of hope in all these communities just mm. feels like it makes it so much more missionally directed towards what that individual community needs. Mm-hmm. And it gives us um, really, I think, a footprint that can make a much bigger difference and dent for the kingdom around the Bay Area. And so, you know, I, I, maybe we've talked about it, but there was a chance even when Menlo... Um, purchased the location that we are today mm-hmm. in uh, Menlo Park at 950. In 1950. In 1950. I learned that last um, week. <laughs> we we uh, had a chance before that 
uh, to purchase where St. Raymond's is. Did you know this? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, like we, just down the street, if you're unfamiliar with Menlo mm-hmm. Park, there's a pretty large campus. And it's, I mean, not even half a mile down the street. Uh, and it's right on Santa Cruz. And it's big and uninterrupted. It, it was technically a better piece of land. But the reason they didn't do it was because it wasn't close enough to downtown. And they were like, no, 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 we, we need to be closer to the people. Wow. And I just think like those moments in mm-hmm. the history of a place, you go, God, mm-hmm. those are the, those are the bo- better angels, so to speak, of who we are. And we want to be who we are at our best to serve the people and the communities that we get a chance to, to live, work, and play among. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just a great chance to look back on that. Mendel's not perfect. Um, there are plenty of things that any of us wish we could go back and rewrite about our own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, here at Menlo, I will, I was telling Mark this before we clicked record today, I will meet, Scott and I will meet with um, a couple representatives from an organization that is helping us with a restorative justice process uh, from some historic abuse that got surfaced. Right after I got here, I received a note from a group of survivors from abuse 30 years ago. Mm. Uh, and so we began to have back and forth conversations, mediated um, as well, and then um, really just tried to start putting some of the building blocks in front of us to say, what do we need to learn from this? Menlo's done great learning kind of in the last three years around policies and procedures, but this is really about going back, mm. um, in most cases, decades mm-hmm. to be able to say for for people, for survivors that are living with this pain and hurt, what does reconciliation look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does real hope and the possibility of restoration look like? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, our leaders, uh, our elders, um, key stakeholders, and then s- uh, our sur- the survivors that are represented in these groups will have a chance to both get some training, but also to share their story. Mm-hmm. And then as we need to kind of widen the net, we will. And I think it, there are times... In moments like this of remembering the past, there are times where we can kind of want to just push down that stuff mm-hmm. and be like, it was a long time ago, don't worry about it. Um, but to the people that are living with pain and hurt that have never had their story heard, it feels like yesterday. And mm-hmm. I think our responsibility, you know, I, I say this a lot as a leader, when you're a leader, uh, especially if you haven't been somewhere very long, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. At some point, somebody has to stop p- passing the buck. And so I'm very thankful for our for our elders, for our session, um, for Scott Palmbush, who's who's really kind of ridden shotgun with me on this, mm-hmm. and for our restorative for, uh, for our um, uh, restorative justice partners that are going to help us along the way. I think God's going to write some really good stuff through that. That's going to help yeah. us too. That's awesome. And it's it's apparent that people that view Menlo in the terms of how can we carry on this legacy that we've been given needs to approach it in that way. We need to not only look at, hey, what have we done well? Let's focus on that. But also in order to protect a legacy, guard a legacy, in order to to keep this thing going for the next 150 years, we need to be realistic about every part of this this thing that we have right. under our stewardship. And so I'm really appreciative of um, you taking steps to do that proactively as well because and saying stuff like that because you don't need to announce to people that you're doing that. Right. But the transparency piece goes into, I think there's a good connection with, in order for you know Menlo to, to go into the next 150 years well, we have to be open and honest and bring people into this because we're doing this all together. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. And so I'm really appreciative of your message just last week as well, where we talked a little bit more about guarding a legacy. And so uh, I thought it was really fun um, just being 
I mean, I think you said it was either in this message or a previous one. We're obviously doing this in your lifetime series as we're reflecting on 150 mm-hmm. years. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But now it kind of feels like we shifted focus from looking back into, okay, let's let's go f- in the present and then maybe into the future as well mm-hmm. and how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, yeah, that is both this last weekend and then this upcoming weekend mm-hmm. kind of for sure it's an intentional look forward. And I think it can be, it can be easy to disassociate past decisions mm. uh, to future direction, but unfortunately, that's just not the way that it works. You know, yep. uh, for for the better or for the worse, right? I talked about how uh, from Second Timothy one uh, thirteen, I talked about this uh, passage from Paul where he says, "Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." And this idea that patterns create pathways. As a matter of fact, we know that even like neurologically, we, yeah. the habits that we have will either be productive ha- habits or unhealthy uh, hangups. Like that, that is true. That's not a. That's not even like a. Oh well, you believe that because it's in the Bible. <laughs> like it's in the Bible because it's true. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, trying for all of us to understand that that exists at a macro level for a whole community like Menlo, but it also exists at a micro level that. The things that you, and this is where it shows up, I think, when we're young, we go, well, I'll get this part of my spending, I'll get this part of my health, I'll get this set of priorities figured out, and then we insert a life milestone. When I Mm. finish high school, Mm -hmm. when I am done with college, when Mm -hmm. I get settled in my career, when I find a person I want to spend the rest of my life with, when I have kids, and we just keep, 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 and the older you get, I'll just tell you, the, the more you realize that when... Those are the milestones that people set to get their stuff together. The more they invent new milestones, because <laughs> it, like, it, if if you are unwilling to do it today, it is unlikely that that milestone in the future is going to be the thing that really flips the switch. Mm-hmm. It's going to take an intentional decision when it is inconvenient to change the patterns in your life. And so, uh, I think you know, Paul is trying to call Timothy back to say, I don't want, I'm not going to get a chance to write to you again. Um, whether he really knew that or just sensed the urgency of it, it's such a personal letter. If you've read First Timothy, mm-hmm. First Timothy is really written about how, it's like a, a manual for how Timothy should pastor the church at Ephesus, where he is pastoring. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at Second Timothy, it is so personal and so specific. It, it feels like you're reading a personal letter. And, uh, and in it, you know, you can really sense Paul saying to Timothy, um, man, don't, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Like, keep going. I, I said one of the ways we could translate that text is hold on to the pattern, right? Mm-hmm. It's, we feel it. We feel it in 2023, right? This, this tendency to say, well, what if, I, what if I just let go a little, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. if, if you do, you will experience exactly what Paul was warning Timothy about. And this idea that, hey, you've been given a good deposit, you can make good choices with that deposit and watch it grow, mm-hmm. uh, or you can make unhealthy and unwise choices with that deposit and um, and watch it be sabotaged. Yeah. And I think that's true, again, that's true for us individually, and that's true for us as a church. That's true if your example was really good, and I, I always want to be sent, like, there's people that have amazing examples in there. I'm so thankful that that's, if you have a great relationship with your mom and dad, if you had an incredible experience in church growing up, I, like, I'm, this isn't, I'm so thankful. Um, and then for you, if you had a terrible example or you had a really difficult childhood, I can relate to you. Mm-hmm. Um, God taught you lessons in that, too. You have a deposit mm-hmm. also. I've talked about my brother, James, uh, who mm-hmm. died earlier this mm-hmm. year from a drug overdose. Um, 
he was he was using drugs when I was very little, and I have never been tempted to do drugs. Never. Like, it just isn't even a thing I've wanted to do because I saw what it did to him, right? That was a deposit that God allowed a very difficult circumstance in my life, and I can, I can decide to not learn that, but I think one of the ways that I honor my brother's legacy mm-hmm. is to voice that lesson. Wow. It's interesting um, that you brought up this idea of deposits being positive or negative. Yeah. And I think there's something about that language of a deposit that is immediate. It's in the present. It's not like what you're saying earlier, where I'm going to set this goal for when I'm X years, X years in the future, I'm going to accomplish this or on X birthday or this or that. And so how can we be, how can we be present? How can we try to live daily trying to, you know, approach this idea of legacy? Some of us on the younger side, we don't have kids yet to pass down a legacy to you kind of in the middle of that someone that's older that's listening to this maybe have is on the ground cage end of stage kind of thing right, so right. Yeah. how can we all approach this idea of stewarding things well in this moment well i think i mean it's a great question i think a big part of it is is um not living for a moment you're not in yet i think is a really important wow, lesson good. right like I think sometimes, just like we can say, I'll get my stuff together when, you know, mm-hmm. I think we can go, well, I'll be a grown up when, you know, <laughs> I joke around sometimes when I interact with some of the older folks at Menlo, some of the seasoned saints at our 830 service, they're incredible. Like some of them are, uh, I mean, I, goodness gracious, I had somebody walk up to me after the services this last weekend, it was very complimentary. And I mean, this person is like top, top, top percentage in the history of the world for what they do. And uh, I said to them, I want to be like you when I grow up, <laughs> you know, like that. Mm-hmm. I, I just have tremendous respect for them. Um, but I think that uh, as much as we can aspire to something, I think that we also live in a culture where we are just not very, we are not very present in our moment. And we're all constantly being pinged with the devices that are around us. Mm-hmm. We're all sort of like looking for what's the next thing that we're going to watch. We don't watch it. We binge it, right? Like... We're just constantly trying to be stimulated. Um, And even if you do this, like I would say, I probably do this in a little bit more of a life hacky way. So I'm not necessarily getting overstimulated by, um, hey, what's the show I want to binge? But I'll be like, I'm going to listen to another book or I'm going to check out a podcast on my bike ride or like I'm, but I'm, it's still the same stuff. Like it's, it's all, I'm still not being present if I let myself. And so I would say a part of uh, really understanding the deposit of your moment is to say, hey, who are the people that God's placed in your life? Like the people that mm-hmm. you're in normal, natural relationship with, but who are people just like one degree away that if you were intentional about building relationships, mm-hmm. who knows what God could do in that relationship? Or what are those things that you could do where you think to yourself, I'm I'm not going to always have the chance to do this, but I really, God, want to be open uh, to what you have in mind. There's a a spiritual practice from Ignatius that I'm going to walk a group of AI leaders through this week, I think tomorrow. Uh, and it's called the uh, habit of examine. Have you guys heard of this before? Mm-hmm. Um, and so examine spelled a little funny, E-X-A-M-E-N or something. Yeah, It's not spelled like we would spell the word examine, but if you Google it, you'll find it. And essentially it's the practice of journaling and gratitude to finish your day and to begin your day. And uh, I think a part of understanding the deposit that God's placed in us, probably ex- the examine is a great discipline, especially if you're younger, um, because you're, 
you're automatically going to the next thing. You're thinking so quickly about what's in front of you that to be able to stop at the end of the day and say, Lord, what what is it from my day that I need to sit and reflect on? Mm. What are the blessings that I have overlooked? What are the interactions? And this is a really important one for me in the habit of examine is... Um, what are those words that I said flippantly? Where did I show up in a careless way? I didn't even mean anything by it, but I want the Lord to bring that to me that I can keep short accounts with people, that I can be thankful for something. Um, and then to for me to kind of like it carries over into my next day to like think about it and go, okay, God, what are those relationships that I need to be extra intentional with today? What are the things that are coming up today that you're going to challenge me and how I show up to that thing? And so I, I think that that sort of daily presence and awareness, there's a bunch of ways to do it, but I think that can be a helpful practice if you don't have something like that and it feels like your weeks just blur by. Again, think of it as kind of a combination of spiritual journaling and gratitude where you try to increase receptivity to hear from the Lord about where your focus should be from the day before and for the day ahead. One thing that I've been, I think I've shared this, uh, I've been doing that you preached on a couple, maybe a couple months ago is the daily bread prayer. And every morning it's just like, okay, God, like, what do I need today to make it through today? And sometimes I come up with a word, like, I feel so tired. I need energy (laughs) to get through today. This morning I was on my way over here and I was like, I don't know what I need today, but God, I know that you will give me what I need today. And it's just as simple as that. And to be able to then, Mm -hmm. I feel like that puts so much more daily perspective on exactly what you're saying. It's so easy for me as a single person. Well, when I get married, I'll do this. When I have kids, do that. I'm sure you guys have that too with mm-hmm. when I have kids. And that's just the the pressure that society puts on right. us of what is the next thing? Now you have this, what's next? Now you have this, mm-hmm. what's next? But to be able to sit in the day and say, God, what do you need? What do I need today that you can give me? Mm-hmm. And then even sometimes if I remember, I'll write it down. And then the next day when I write the next one, I look back and go, wow, yesterday I asked for energy and yeah, I got it. I thought I was going to be so, so tired all day and not my best self. And you gave me that energy that I needed. And thank you, God. And I know you're going to do that again today. And it's just been really powerful to like be able to sit in those daily bread mm-hmm. moments. Yeah. You know? well, and I think hopefully, hopefully it increases twofold, right? One is the dependency that we have every day on God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And two is the sufficiency with our current season, right? Because you said in a very kind way that society puts pressure on you for the next season, especially around marriage and kids. Uh, society doesn't put that much pressure on us anymore, by the way. The church does. Yeah. And so it, it's well-intentioned. It's well-intentioned. But I think all the ways that we can with people in our lives and in connection and experience with God to say, God's looking at you and saying, if you never get married, never have kids, I love you the same, and mm-hmm. you're enough. And uh, I just think that very well-intentioned sometimes, mm-hmm. we can assume the societal next step yep. season yep. and forget that the guy we're learning from, Paul, shared a different life experience than that in his own life. The, the mm. person we mm-hmm. worship in Jesus shared a different set of life experiences than that. Yeah. And so if we create sort of this idealistic definition of societal and spiritual success, and we can't really be ourselves till we get there, I think, man, we are we are really missing out on what God wants to do right now in our life. Yeah. Man. 
still thinking about trying not to examine Netflix at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix? Who watches Netflix yeah, anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's just a crackdown. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, I think I pay. That, that price just keeps going up. I don't, I don't it have, does. well, I have it on my phone because if you, like, you know, you can share passwords with people, oh, yeah, but they yeah. crack down on that. Yeah. yeah. But you can still use your phone and your, like, iPad to watch it. Okay. So, oh. I'm, like, watching Gilmore Girls on my phone. Amazing <laughs> tip. Nice. Strong. Uh, baptisms. <gasps> Yay. Mm-hmm. That was just such a sweet way Amazing. to end um, our services. And can we talk a little bit more about that? What is baptism? Why do we do it? Why is it important? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's one question, but at Menlo, really, it's a couple questions, because if you show up, sometimes you'll see an infant being baptized or a mm. baby being baptized, mm-hmm. and then if you show up this last weekend, we have like a big tank that we do not put babies under the water of. <laughs> and to then, be clear. And so you're yeah. like, what is the difference? What's yeah. happening? And so, um, and then we do dedications. Right. Uh, where it's kind of the same wording, but we don't baptize the child. And so it's a uh, it, at Menlo. I would say we we use the phrase generous orthodoxy. It's a value for us that uh, we really want to have the things that are most important as close-handed issues and be able to have freedom where we understand that it's a non-essential issue. And so we don't think any of those modes of baptism or dedication are saving someone. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about it in terms of uh, infant baptism or uh, infant dedication, really what we're identifying is kind of the mark of the new covenant on that family, to be able to say, like circumcision was in the Old Testament, before someone made an individual choice that recognized God's choice of them, that's kind of the idea when we do dedication or infant baptism, we're saying, God, we trust you. We trust you with this child. We trust you with this family. We're going to do our part, but we trust you. And uh, so it's this sort of forward-looking deposit or down payment of our obedience, counting Mm -hmm. on God's faithfulness in the life of that individual and family. Mm -hmm. Then when you look at it, as we saw this weekend, where you watched people who uh, had chosen to follow Jesus as uh, either, you know, students or adults or some of our campus as kids, and they want to go public with that decision, uh, particularly at Menlo, if they've never been baptized before, uh, they're going to go under the water and come up out of it as this metaphor that just like Jesus went um, into the grave and then was resurrected, Mm -hmm. we're connecting with his death, burial, and resurrection Mm -hmm. uh, as we tell people we're Mm -hmm. his. And so, uh, you know, it can, it's a little trickier because of the way we do it to just, I always want to (laughs) explain why we do it the way we do it. Um, And so, uh, and then, you know, at all of our campuses, there's some way for the people that are getting baptized to share a piece of their story and uh, the baptisms are always more profound, right, when you know the story, because it's not just a page and then somebody gets baptized, you're like, oh, that's incredible. And it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's fun for me now, almost a year in, is some of these stories uh, I've gotten to, like, journey with a yeah. little bit. And so one of them at Menlo Park, uh, he got baptized, and I think we had started emailing a little bit in the spring, uh, but he was... Uh, vi- like very young family. He's he was a very strong atheist. Like pretty angry that his wife was a Christian, uh, Korean family, and um, like um, just an amazing mm. story of he comes to church at Easter with his wife. 
he hears a message that at Christmas and Easter, I basically just, I tell people I'm talking to non-Christians. Like that's who I'm talking mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And the door, the door in his heart kind of just cracked open just a little bit. I recommended a Tim Keller book. I think he told me he read it in a week. Um, it's tough. And then at the end of the book, Keller gives a prayer, not to say, God, would you help me find you? But a prayer that says, God, would you find me? <laughs> um, in only Keller Dude, fashion. Yeah, right? come on. And, uh, <laughs> and he just felt like God did. And mm. to I like, so I got to watch all that kind of from a distance. And then uh, his wife came up to me who I'd never met on Sunday. And she was like, I just need you to know, like, he's a different person. Aww. Like, our family's different. I, I was so scared to even talk about faith. And now it's like this central reality of our home. And wow. so then you see him get baptized and you're like, oh, oh, dude, I'm rooting for you, man. Let's go, you know? And um, uh, yeah, so I, I just think everybody's story um, is unique. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of God's love for all of us that it is unique and it's customized for what we need. Mm-hmm. And it just over and over again reiterates this idea that um, a loving God is chasing after us individually. And uh, it's not just this kind of big, hey, figure it out if you want to. Mm-hmm. It's the hound of heaven, I think Spurgeon called him, the hound of heaven mm-hmm. chasing after us, mm-hmm. not wanting to attack us, but wanting to slobber all over us with love <laughs> to say, uh, I really <laughs> the did. The sloppy wet kiss. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, re- I really do love you, and I really want to be in relationship with you, and nothing you've ever done or yeah. could ever do would ever disqualify you from yeah. relationship with me. And so baptisms are a beautiful picture of that. And mm-hmm getting a chance to see that happen at our campuses was was really special. It was really special. Yeah. And as we're talking with people about this, maybe in our life groups, in our communities, and people ask us questions like, do I need to be baptized in order to be, quote-unquote, saved? Yeah, no. How can we approach that? Yeah, yeah, the answer is no. <laughs> um, I think that uh, if you've never been baptized before and you're a follower of Jesus, um, it may be something that you feel like God is calling you to do, right? Mm-hmm. As a church, our mandate is how do we help people take meaningful next steps with Jesus? And baptism is a great next step if you've never taken it. Um, but this idea of like, well, if, if I don't get baptized, am I saved? The reason that it gets confusing is because we read the Bible in English, um, and we typically read it kind of in slices. So we're looking mm-hmm. at a verse here or a verse there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you read it, in its totality, and you understand the language that it was originally written in, there are two ways that we uh, think about baptism, and then there's a third way that we've made up. Um, oh, you know, that month's going to get me in trouble. But the two <laughs> ways that we talk about baptism, one is sort of this water baptism that we've already talked about a little bit. The second one, and this is why it gets confusing, because it's like, well, you really have to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, that's that's actually um, that's talking about uh, sort of a spiritual baptism, not baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the one we made up. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but it's sort of a spiritual baptism to say uh, there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit for every person that chooses to follow Jesus it happens immediately. Uh, it t- took place first um, in Acts uh, when Pentecost took place and the Holy Spirit came down. Jesus said, I got to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it is concurrent, like it's happening at the same time. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Um, and it, it is now this component of your life forever that you can't be separated from. The book of Hebrews says that even when we sin, the Holy Spirit grieves because he has a front row seat to our choices. The one that we've made, that we've invented, but you can see how that would get confusing, right? Because somebody's like, well, I need to be yeah. 
I need to experience this spiritual baptism. Well, spiritual baptism, salvific, but you actually don't do it. God does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, water baptism is different. Mm-hmm. And then baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, it, it's a, it gets interpreted a couple different ways, usually in more charismatic theology. Um, and there are plenty of people who are more charismatic in their theology who are faithful followers of Jesus going sure. to heaven. Like, I, I don't want to mm-hmm. minimize that. But this, as a component of salvation, is not a scriptural principle that in order to be saved, you need to be slain in the Spirit, which would be like you pass out in worship by the Holy Spirit, or uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit usually gets interpreted as speaking in tongues, yeah. mm. uh, which is I speak like an angelic language that mm-hmm. I don't understand. Uh, I think that tongues exists as a gift in 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are specific parameters in the Bible mm-hmm. in, in terms of how we use it, and I don't think I could find you a single passage in the Bible that would say, we all are going to have that gift, mm-hmm. or that that gift is a requirement for salvation. As a matter of fact, mm. I could find some that say the exact opposite of that. So that's why baptism gets funny, yeah. because there's water baptism, there's spirit baptism, and then there's baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. These two we find in Scripture, and we have to be thoughtful about how we thread the needle between the two of them. This one, I would argue, and I'm not gesturing that this, this is... <laughs> This one, baptism of the Holy Spirit, I would just say over time has become a distortion that's incorporated its way into Christian theology. Yeah. That's great. We can feel like we do a full episode on just things of... Speaking in tongues? Well, just like things that have gotten (laughs) twisted along the way. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's a whole sermon series. Yeah. Column, like pillars of people's faith that can be approached in a good way or potentially a harmful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, a passionate thing for me is... When we have Bible passages that are like our life verses that don't mean what we think they mean, we do all things. And right, and uh, and actually, the truth of the Scripture is better. Yeah. And so, like, understand yeah, 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 that's yeah. that. You yeah. know, Philippians mm-hmm. four thirteen is a classic example. I can mm-hmm. do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know, you roll the clock back just a few verses, mm-hmm. and Paul is saying, "I've." been brutalized and I've been blessed. I've Mm -hmm. been at the top of the mountain and I've been in the deepest valleys and I have learned the secret to contentment in every circumstance in my life. Whether my resume looks awesome or I'm unemployed and homeless, I have learned the secret. And you're like, oh man, what's the secret? I can endure all circumstances through the power of Jesus Mm -hmm. living in me every moment of every day. And you're like, oh, that's doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. That (laughs) means, but it's better. That means I can't be in the NBA? Uh, you know, maybe you could. Hey, okay. if Christ Here, gives you that strength, can, you totally Here's can. what I would say. Okay. You have a higher <laughs> likelihood of being in the NBA than Jessica or myself. Hey, you don't so. know me. Yeah, just <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yep. I'm making my right. way. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, Phil, thank you so much. Of course. And I'm excited for the conclusion of our series Ooh. this next week. So One more. Um, we'll see everybody soon. Texas, if you need anything, 650-600-0402. And if you missed out on Next Step Sunday, which was last week. First Step. Yes, First Step Sunday, which is the second Sunday of the month in our calendar, then please let us know how we can help connect you to anything that we're doing. Or if you just want to say, hey, and introduce yourself, we're here. We'd love to meet you. <laughs> so text our team. And yeah. I met somebody at uh, Menlo Park this weekend. He got baptized and they are online uh, only. Like they, they oh, come, yeah. They, they came in literally just for it. Mm-hmm. And it is amazing. And uh, I just think if you are somebody that your experience of Menlo Church is only online, yep. um, that's okay. Like, we're, we're so thankful for you. But don't do it alone. 
Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, First Step Sunday is a good rhythm for our weekends if you come in person. Um, but consider this sort of First Step invitation for you to join the team and be a part of it. And maybe it's going to be in a chat window or maybe it's going to be on yep. a Zoom call. Yep. Uh, but yep. c- that community is also really important and helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say uh, the longer you do it alone, the greater the likelihood you have to walk into isolation, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Mm. And God's got something better for you. So please, please reach out. Let us know, A, how can we pray for you? But B, how can we connect you up to other people Mm -hmm. that really uh, could make a much bigger difference in your life than you realize? You need to do this before you need this. And so if you're like, oh, I'll I'll, I'll get to that when my life is in crisis. (laughs) Too late. Too late. I mean, if your life's in crisis, reach out and we'll help while we can. Mm -hmm. But here's what I'll tell you people in crisis would tell you. I wish I would have done this before. Mm. I wish I would have done this before I was in crisis. The time uh, to plant is before the season that you need the crops. And uh, that season might be right now for you. Have a great week, everybody. (laughs) 